Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. The sponsor for this episode is Catavino Tours. Catavino Tours provides luxury travel, wine, and food tours in Portugal and Spain, and they are guided by a desire to reduce the ecological impact that travel can have by reducing waste, encouraging fewer and more meaningful trips, and by using well-vetted carbon offsets. They are currently booking at catavinotours.com slash OWP for Organic Wine Podcast for a fall sustainable and natural wine harvest tour. If you're considering a wine tour in Portugal and Spain and want to have that experience be more meaningful and conducted by a company who is thoughtful about their ecological impact, check out Catavino Tours by going to catavinotours.com slash OWP. That's C-A-T-A-V-I-N-O tours.com slash O-W-P for Organic Wine Podcast. And your tour will not only benefit you, but this podcast as well. I'll list that link in the show notes. Thank you for being thoughtful about your travel. My guest for this episode is Haas Hoxen, and he practices a form of viticulture in Switzerland that integrates elements of vitiforestry or a silviculture polyculture using a biodynamic approach with the world's smallest sheep and technologies like drone spraying and UV robots. His wine takes the idea of terroir literally, incorporating medicinal and aromatic herbs and trees as infusions in both the vineyard ecosystem and his Pinot Noir. In other words, I think I discovered my long-lost soul twin. Haas is one of the only, if not the one and only, Icelandic winemakers on Earth, which means he's probably related to Steve Mathiason. And he tells us about his journey from wanting to be, quote, the hero winemaker to a focus on just becoming a good farmer. Haas's holistic, ecological view of fostering a healthy farm ecosystem from which the best, most interesting wine can be made leads us from some really important discussion about the soil microbiome through to expressing terroir by making a pet gnat infused with wormwood, hyssop, and yarrow. Along the way, we find out the importance of promoting a fungal-dominant soil that recreates the forest floor from which vines evolved, how he uses different trees and herbs for different purposes in and around the vines, and how his adorable miniature sheep are vital to the entire ecosystem. Fertile nuggets of information, rich with wisdom, are scattered everywhere throughout this interview, like sheep who've been a vineyard. You're in for a treat. Enjoy. Oh, and I should mention that the audio is a bit quiet for several reasons, so you may need to turn the volume up to hear this well. Hi, Haas. Welcome. Thanks for joining the podcast and doing this interview. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, could you tell where you are and... You know, introduce yourself a little bit. Yeah, my name is Hans uh, Hoxen. I live in Switzerland. Um, I'm born and raised in Iceland. And then I left Iceland to go to California for four years in 94, um, it was, I guess. Uh, Uh-oh, we have since and I've now been living in Switzerland since 2009. Where were you in California, just out of curiosity? So, say what again? Where were you in California? Did you say California? Yeah, yeah, I was at uh, UCSB studying mathematics. Oh, fantastic! Got um, to uh, visit some some nice wineries up there, and uh, yeah, so it was quite nice. Lovely. Yeah, UCSB is that's kind of my neck of the woods. That's where I get grapes from that area, or I have in the past gotten yeah. some grapes from Santa Barbara County. Okay. You know, I, I hate to do this to you as. Uh, but 
and maybe it's putting you on the spot and you can refuse to answer, but since you're one of the first international guests I've had yeah. who actually has been here and spent some time in the U.S., especially in California, yeah. did you have any impressions of us crazy Americans that you'd like to share? Uh, no, I, I really enjoyed my time. That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, what I, uh, I had a couple of people that were always sort of talking about, you know, un-Americans speaking about, you know, us crazy Americans. I usually find the variation within the nation is much greater than the variation between sort of the averages of nations. You see what I mean? Uh, yes, yeah. That people have this image that they are very special, both in terms of how crazy they are and stuff. So <laughs> it tends to be overblown, in my opinion. <laughs> Oh, that's well, very well said. Well, it also sounds like you have a um, a more well-rounded view of humanity as well, uh, not not an oversimplified view or perspective. It sounds like I've I've lived in a number of countries. I lived in, I mean, I spent seven years in London, uh, been in Switzerland now for quite a few years, so I've I've seen a bit. Okay, well. Uh, where are you now? I mean, you are in Switzerland, but where can you talk about where you are and what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm a winemaker. I, I spent the first, sort of my first career was in finance for 20 years. And then 2017, I, um, I cut my tie off, so to speak, and, uh, <laughs> and bought a farm. And uh, I, I took over one farm in 2017, the second one 2019. Uh, they're very close by each other. They're sort of near the border with Germany. It's in a canton called Argau. Okay. And then I also have a few parcels down in uh, in the Italian-speaking part of Switzerland. Uh, total area is about 15 acres, I guess. I'm trying to convert okay. everything here to, to US, US measures. Yeah, uh, thank you. I mean, feel free to say hectares too. I'm sure there there are, I know there are international listeners as well. Um, or non-American listeners, I should say, since we're all international to each other. But so it sounds like a bunch of little parcels, then, theoretically. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's um, it's a mosaic that has sort of, you know, grown over time. The the both farms that I took over, they're sort of a, the life work of somebody that has has created a, you know both a patchwork in terms of parcels, but also in terms of varieties. Oh, nice. Um, and yeah, go ahead. did you intend to become a winemaker or did buying the land, the, the farms, turn you into one? Well, no, when I took over the farm, I, I was intending to become a winemaker. I mean, I, it, the adventure actually started a little bit earlier, so... Yeah, please. That's what I guess what I'm getting at is how did, how did you so end I, up doing this? Yeah, so I... I um, Wine just became a hobby, and I, I bought my first ton of Pinot Noir grapes in 2014. Okay. And I made uh, wine in the laundry room at home. <laughs> With a ton. That's a big laundry room. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, it didn't feel so big at the time, but <laughs> it was just barely fit. Yeah. But it was, it was quite nice, you know, a couple of steel tanks and a couple of barrels. And, yeah, a couple of barrels in the laundry room. I love it. Yeah, I know. Tiny little pump and a in a tiny little press and yeah, so it sort of worked. Nice, yeah. How'd the wine turn out? I, it was actually quite good. It was actually good. It, oh. was, a, it was a it was a difficult vintage. It was difficult to difficult to get the ripeness. 
So what I ended up doing was to take about 10% of the grapes and took it to my father-in-law, who has a, he has a little hut attached to his house where he dries apples and pears uh-huh. uh, in a wood-fired, so, you know, there's sort of like a wood-fired chamber below yeah. and then a separate chamber above um, where he dries the, the apples and pears, and I dried 10% of the grapes. And it was it turned out quite nice. And that concentrated that to it rather than at, like capitalizing. It's a sort of you did uh, the other the reduce you removed water yeah, rather, removed rather than water, add sugar. Yeah. yeah, but and but it's sort of interesting because it's sort of hot drying, right? It's not the same as when you do like an amarone where you just hang them up and let them dry at uh, atmospheric temperatures, right? Um, because at I think it's around eighty degrees centigrade, then fructose starts to caramelize. Right. So, so it actually ended up being quite, quite uh, interesting. But uh, oh. yeah, those, those bottles are all gone now. Is there like a Maillard reaction? Is that what it's called? The uh, like when you start to get that, like almost a caramelization. I, th- I think so. I think there's a little bit of caramelization with on the fructose, not on the glucose. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. That would be fun. Yeah, Have you was... employed that since? Is that like a technique that you accidentally discovered and now you are? are using regularly or anything no no this was in my sort of wild days when i was uh experimenting <laughs> with everything you know first when i started i was i was really you know you start reading these uh glossy brochures from from the producers of all the ad- additives you can put in it. and every right. additive just sounds so fabulous you know, oh i gotta have some of that um yep so like in the first year i think i put three or four different types of yeast in the same tank and i was like <laughs> right right yeah. But uh, but I've really come around completely, and so like our our twenty twenty one bottling is uh, zero zero. And, gotcha. Uh, and since then we're we're aiming for zero zero when possible. Uh, but if it's uh, if it's not going our way, then we'll 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 make corrections. Yes. Yeah. That sounds very sane and and lovely. Um. <laughs> it's been a learning process. I mean, you sort of you know you, the, all the products that just sound so great. But then, yes. you try, and then you try them out and it's like, well, you know, it's, it's just not what I was looking for. And did did you have any mentors or anybody that helped you or guided you in that path initially? Or was it just reading and watching videos and things like that? It was just, um, no, it was just reading and experimenting. Yeah. So that's, it was actually that's... a great setting because, you know, in these, in these first three years, you know, 14, 15, 16, it was always small volume. So... And you know, it was just a hobby on the side. So if a tank actually went bad, I could just pour it down the drain and it'd be okay. Right, right. But then starting in 2017, it wasn't the case anymore. And that, that you know, made for a couple of sort of stressful nights. But it worked all right. Right, right. Um, yeah, that's, I, it's funny. I Very similar, you know, start. It's weird how you get started that way. And maybe, maybe that was the time. I mean, maybe you know, a, a young winemaker starting now would be, have more exposure to like a, a hands-off experience. I don't know. I'd, I'd be curious to know about that, but I know like, yeah, you get the glossy brochures and I mean, I, I even had, you know, the sort of step-by-step recipes to follow, uh, you know, that I found and uh, that other people gave me and, and then, yeah, it's sort of finding your way free of that. But you also are doing some pretty fun stuff with, 
the farming that you're doing there. And yeah, yeah. I would love to jump into that. I know you you say it's a, almost like a, a vitiforestry, a silvo vitiforestry kind of approach that you're trying. Can yeah. you sort of introduce that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the focus has definitely shifted completely from wanting to be sort of the, the hero winemaker to just becoming a farmer. And the, and the farming is really the, the absolute center of what we're doing. Yeah. Um, gosh, there's, there's so, so many angles. Yeah, so, I this. mean, let's, let's talk. You, you integrate some cute little sheep, it sounds like, into your vineyards year-round, yeah. if I'm yeah. not right. What, can you describe those sheep and what, how, they, how they're interacting yeah, so the, the, it's a breed called Ouessant, so O-U-E-S-S-A-N-T. It comes uh-huh. from an island called Ouessant in France. Okay. Um, and as far as I know, it's the smallest breed of sheep in the world. Okay. So they're actually quite quite convenient for, for integrating into vineyards. We they work, sound adorable, um, too. Oh, they're, they're, they're a lot of fun. They're so much fun. <laughs> um, we work biodynamically. Now, okay. I understand that in the U.S., if you are organic, you are not allowed to have your you know, any animals in the vineyards three months prior to harvest. But so that, that, that does not apply for us. Right. And I think that has changed in the U.S. Just I think that was true for a while. And okay. um, I recently interviewed um, Kelly Mulville, who you may or may not know, who you know has sort of pioneered the, the year-round... Uh, system for having year-round grazing in vineyards here in California and, and elsewhere. Um, and he's one of the pioneers, but he's done a lot of work with it. And he was able to petition and with the help of of, an, of actually somebody who worked for the organic certifier, at least in California, they were over, they were, they were able to overcome that stipulation based on, you know, precedent, the fact that there's never been any cases of pathogens being transferred from you know, animals yeah. to grapes in the vineyard mm-hmm. and and uh, especially in his system where the, the vines are trellised up high. And I, I mean, I don't even know if it matters about that much, but I think it, there's a precedent set now where it has been allowed year is round. That, so. Is that, is that uh, from uh, Pacing's Ranch? That is, yeah. That okay. Is, yeah. yeah, cool. So we actually have a trellis system that's uh, it's not too dissimilar from what he has. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, do you want to talk about that? Is that except that we have so we have sort of two high wires that okay. are about a foot apart, side sideways. Okay. And then one of them is the fruiting wire where we, we tie the cordon down. And then once the branches get tall enough, we tie them down onto the other wire. Oh, interesting. So it's like a horizontal trellis almost. It it it, it, it looks basically like a like an airplane wing. <laughs> okay fascinating and, uh, and the grapes are hanging down between the two wires and because the sheep are so small it doesn't have to be terribly high up so you're not okay. working a lot sort of overhead it's basically sort of you know maybe chest, chest height. height so it's nice. really comfortable height to work in oh wow this is very interesting for and, uh, and, and then i sort of you know depending on which direction the main wind direction is I, I always set it up so that the wind is blowing sort of into the wing, if you will. Okay, because so our, our, our climate is much wetter. It's much much more wet here. So I need something that dries up much quicker. So I think if I, I was, was to I was to do the same as, uh, you know, sort of the double-sided one as the Paisins Ranch has, 
I think I would get too much uh, humid air in the grapes. Home. Right. Yeah. It creates like a, like a, an umbrella effect that way versus you can have the cordon on the, on the wind side, the windward side. So it, the, the, the grapes catch the breeze first, I imagine. Yeah. That's and the so they the get a lot part. more exposure to sun and air that way. Well, you can control the sun in the sense that you can um, pull leaves if you want. Right. Uh, but what, what's actually interesting with the system is that once the clusters start to get heavy, they start dropping down and there's no wire below them and there's no branches below them that they're sort of leaning against or no other clusters, but right? they're just sort of free in the air. And at right. the same time, the, all the leaves naturally stretch up for the sunlight. So you uh, get sort of a natural separation of the grape sun. That makes a lot of sense. So you don't need to do much leaf pulling at all. And then, huh. I mean, if you, if you want more sunlight, you can, you can do that with, uh, you know, by pulling leaves. But like for the whites, uh, we won't be pulling very little leaves at all. Huh. That, have you noticed, I mean, I don't know if you've experimented, but I know that leaving some of those lower leaves can, at, you know, depending on the timing of, you know, if you leave them on or when you pull them off, they can affect, you know, cluster formation as well as, you know, how much, you know, carbohydrates are being sent into those clusters because they're, they're very close to mm-hmm. those clusters. Have you experimented with that? Or no, have any? not yet. Okay. I, I have one year under my belt, sort of on the first, uh, we did our, we did four parcels to, to, to start with. And uh, we, we have sort of one season done with it, so I don't right. have a lot of ton of experience. Got it, got it. And how, and, and so then the sheep are year round, so do, what's the, are there times of year when the forage gets a little thin for them? Do you have a drier period there where you are? Um, Normally we don't. Um, Do you have a snowy period? We had a super dry year, uh, super dry June and July last year. Yeah, do you guys have to deal with the heat or are you high enough up? We don't get that much heat. How high are you? Not to the sense that it is a problem for the grapes, typically. What's your elevation? Uh, We're at sort of 400 meters above sea level. Okay, got it. But, you know, normally I've I've got enough... I've got enough um, forage for them. And, and the thing is also because the grape zone is so high off the ground, it's okay if I if I have more grass. Like I don't have to move right. that, that, that closely. Right, right. They can... uh, but it's, it's, it's fun with the sheep. You know, they, they, they like to stand up on their hind legs and sort of, you know, climb up on things. And if they can't reach any leaves or things, that they will, they will nibble on it, for sure. <laughs> I, I know that they sometimes use each other to climb on, right? Um, my, I haven't observed my entire that, but a friend has a different okay. breed called uh, Scutan, and he, he, he laments how they, uh, they sort of help each other out. <laughs> um, so and, uh, how are you integrating trees then into this system? What's the, what's the Vita Silvo forestry part of this? Hey, I'm just jumping in to let you know about another incredible sponsor of the Organic Wine Podcast. They're called Oom, and they have solved a huge problem for the wine industry. That problem is the massive carbon footprint of using glass bottles. Oom collects used wine bottles, removes their labels, and cleans and sanitizes them so that they can be reused. At the same cost that you would pay for new bottles, you can now buy clean, reused bottles from Oom. 
and therefore also reduce your carbon footprint and reduced waste significantly. This is an industry-changing paradigm, and it's something you can share with your customers. It's a really big deal, both for wine and for the earth. And the earth is why Oom is doing what they're doing. So check out Oom at oom.earth and enter the referral code OWP for Organic Wine Podcast in their contact form so that they know you heard it here. That's oom.earth, O-O-M.earth, and use referral code OWP, and your bottle purchase will benefit the Organic Wine Podcast and the Earth. We are integrating, um, we're integrating hazelnuts, walnuts, cherries, apples, pears, and service trees. Okay. We also have some sea buckthorn, hawthorns, wild roses. So the basic intuition is... Um, you know, the, the vine uh, evolved over thousands of years, uh, not, you know, like a soldier in a, in a row on the prairie, but rather at a, you know, at a forest edge or, or in, a, in an opening in the forest where it was, uh, you know, yeah. with the roots deeply in forest soil and then climbing yeah. up a companion plant. Right. Very and then symbiotic. once it's reached the top, it placed the grapes on the top and the, and the branches were then sort of drooping down. And that's sort of what I'm trying to create. So that I do have the grapes on top and the branches drooping down. And then what I want to try to do is to create um, some sort of forest floor. And then you think about it, like, what, what, like how, how would you do that? Like what, what, what does a forest floor look like? Uh-huh. I think the first observation is you, you never get much sunlight onto the forest floor. Yes. So if you think of sort of the, your, your classical, uh, you know, VSP system, you know, at midday, 80 to 90% of the energy is burning straight on the, on the floor, on the soil. Right. right. Whereas with, uh, with the sort of horizontal system that I have, horizontal sort of leaf in a horizontal canopy, it's catching a lot of the sunlight. But then we're also including quite a lot of, or we're, we're trying to, to build up a lot of herbs. I planted about 2,000 herbs. And you, could, you walk through my vineyards now and sort of go, so where are they? And you find a few of them. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'd, I'd need to put it, I don't know, tens of thousands. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they will then also catch some of the sunlight. The trees will catch some of it. Um, and we're also trying to leave as much dead wood as we can. So we're... Yeah. So this year we're experimenting with not chopping the branches, um, just leaving them on the ground. Uh, any pruning from the trees, I intend to leave that on the ground with that, you know, unchopped. That's that's exactly what I'm doing in my in my backyard vineyard here in Los Angeles this year. It's it's a this exact same thing. I did a big major pruning, and all of the branches just went straight whole. You know, I mean, between the rows, and yeah, I'm very curious because I. I think the other thing in a forest floor, because of that lack of sunlight, it becomes a very fungal dominant soil. And yeah. you you could even potentially, rather than herbs, have like, you know, fun- like mushroom crops growing yeah. in amongst the trees and vines um, at that point, once you, you know, once you have canopy cover. And, and I mean, this is, I mean, just like the, uh, you know, our immune system is uh, to a large extent, you know, in our gut. You know, we, we, in the symbiosis we have with the gut microbiome that we have, it's the same with the plants. Yeah. And uh, and and the forest floor is is ninety percent fungal dominated. 
or as a prairie, sort of 50-50. Right. So the vines that we were keeping today have a completely wrong immune system. Right. Right. Or if you think, or if you, or if you go to Burgundy, where they where they plowing the soils, you know, many times a season, they are absolutely bacteria dominant. Yeah, it's, yeah. This it's is really, the, I mean, they, they make fabulous wines, but but it's right, about right. the wrong it, immune system. Yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like imagine what that wine could be if they actually were treating the soil better. It's uh, like it's so good, and yet they're abusing the soil, abusing the the vine's relationship to the soil in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've thought about that as well. And then also, if you think of sort of how the you know economy in the soil works, right? I mean, the plant takes water, CO two, and sunlight, and produces sugar, and then right. it exudes. Uh, a large proportion of that sugar through the roots into the soil to feed the microbiome in order to build yeah. enough, you know, my, you know, mass there. And then the microorganisms use their enzymes to dissolve minerals and other, you know, stuff up from the mineral world, make right. them, complex them into organic compounds and then make that available to the plant. Right. The only way the biology, the only way the geology gets becomes part of our wine is through the biology of the soil. Like we need a healthy biology in the soil if to express, you know, these things that people think are, uh, you know, like if you just put a root next to a piece of limestone that somehow changes it, but it doesn't, you need a mycorrhizal connection to that limestone. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. that's the, I, you know, so it's okay. got, it's going to have a, I'm expecting to have a very big impact on the on the taste of the wine. I don't know what it's going to taste like because I, I haven't found well, I haven't found anybody making wine that way. But uh, it'll be this fun. is my theory as well. I mean, I I I really think like it. Yeah, right. Like it, I feel like it has to impact the taste, and then whether we feel like that is better or worse, I guess might depend on a lot of different things. But <laughs> um, but I th- I feel like it has to have an impact. Yeah, it seems yeah like like for all the reasons that you're saying it just makes sense and uh, yeah going back to what you're saying i've heard as much as 30 percent of its energy the vine's energy is spent exuding you know giving energy giving food to feed its soil partners yeah um and that's enormous and i think like i i often relate that as like an example for us and like how much energy and resources are we contributing to the things that sustain us as humans? And <laughs> often we take a lot more than we give, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I, yeah, I look to vines as these sort of wise ancient things that have been around since uh, 65 million years ago. And maybe they, they know something we don't that we should pay attention to. Um, the, 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 um, but going back to the flavor, the, there is actually, I found two pieces of um, research. One that showed that... Um, so the, the conclusion from the two of them was that basically the micro, the microbiology of the soil, there is a correlation with what kind of chemical components you can actually find in the final wine. Yeah. So, so there is actually a you know scientific uh, proof that it really has a direct impact. Yes. Yeah. I, 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 I mean, one of the things I can, that is a close correlation, although it didn't involve vines is, um, there's a book, What Your Food Ate, um, and I interviewed the authors for that. And mm-hmm. they, that whole thing is about how regenerative farming or you know non no-till farming immediately 
changes the micronutrients in the food that is being grown in that soil versus a, a place that's being plowed and and use yeah. herbicide used and things like that. It's like they they can just show now there's conclusive data to show that you get far more micronutrients uh, in a regenerative no-till system. Yeah. 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 And I'm I mean that was no wine crops but clearly there would be a direct correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So how how are the how are you integrating them these trees and shrubs and things uh, with the vines? Like are you and because you're talking about the trellising, are you just sort of planting them in amongst uh, the trellised vines like at the ends of the rows? Are you using any of the trees as trellis, you know, as trellising posts or anything like that? Um, we are trying a few different things. So, Got it. Um, one parcel I have is, um, is too vigorous. It's a, it's a, I, think it's, I think you call it the Vattensville clone of it's a Pinot Noir clone. And yes, it's just too yeah. vigorous. And yeah. what I did there was to plant a row of walnut trees at the top of the of the vineyard because uh, I read somewhere that walnut trees were absolutely voracious uh, nitrogen consumers. Yes. And that yeah, they can they... suck up nitrogen from, so if you take the width of the canopy, they can suck up nitrogen from an area whose width is uh, six to eight times wider. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, my, that... so my hope is to actually be able to slow that vineyard down a little bit, getting more into balance with walnut trees. Then in another parcel, we're planting hazelnuts directly into the rows. Okay. Uh, and there the aim is to use them uh, as a climbing aid for the vines. Great. Yeah, because they are they tend to be shrubby, so they won't super out-compete, you know, like a, like a walnut, which will grow up, you know, 50 feet or whatever. A hazelnut will maybe get to 10 feet. Well, the, the thing is, actually, we have we have um, so there's a special type of hazelnut. It's called a Turkish hazelnut that grows like a tree. So you get the stem okay. going up. If you take okay. the stem up to maybe I don't know three, four, five feet height, and then you graft a regular hazelnut on top of that, that gives you good fruit. Or good okay. Nuts. Yeah. And that's what we have, and then you will get sort of like the shrub starting at four feet high. Oh, interesting. Okay. And then you can coppice that um, or, you know, pollard it whenever you, you feel that it's necessary or, you know, when the branches get too long, you, you pollard that. And uh, and I mean to sort of, you know, tie the branches so that they grow into a, like a fan, fan shape form so it becomes a nice climbing aid. Oh, perfect. So it doesn't, uh, is that, per, is the fan perpendicular to the row or uh, parallel to the row? A parallel to the row. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's in the row, so it's going to be, you know. Right. Ends. So you need to be able to pass it without whacking yourself in the head. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and. And then cherries go outside the parcel. Um, okay. Because they're, we're picking them in, in sort of June while we're still spraying. Okay. Um, apples, I intend to plant that in the parcel because I can, I can prune them as well to get be small and I can get. I can get uh, small varieties that are, that are on uh, rootstocks that are sort of, you know, not very vigorous. Right. Pears tend to get bigger, however. Um, okay. But so, I'm, I'm, but there I'm doing my experience with both. I have some that are in the parcel and some that are outside. 
Gotcha. And same with uh, service tree. Is there another name for service tree? I know there is. I can't remember what it is. Um, I don't uh, know the German name. What it's Shad bush, I guess not. Maybe service berries. I think service berry might be something else, but this has oh, some fruit okay. that is sort of um, like a small apple. Yeah. Okay. So and in that, name. but that parcel, that's that's a parcel that's um, a very thin layer of soil on top of a of a, a rock, a piece of rock. So it's a very okay. uh, it dries out super fast, and um, and the service tree is very drought resistant. So we're using that to try to build the soil, build the water holding capacity, and also cast some shade. And in addition, we've added um, seed buckthorn in there, which is also very drought resistant. It also right. tends to um, bind a little bit of nitrogen. So there's a very meager parcel, and it, it, we need to sort of build it up a little bit. So that way, so if you see sort of the difference between the service tree seed buckthorn parcel and the walnut parcel, that's how you can sort of use the trees to to get a parcel more into balance if it's too vigorous or, or too, too little growth. Got it. And the sea buckthorn, you, you were saying essentially uh, sequesters nitrogen. It's like a nitrogen fixer. It's a nitrogen fixer. Yeah. And, and then I aim to take the, the fruit from the service tree and from the sea buckthorn and we'll make a, you know, a sparkling cider out of that. Nice. Love that. And, um, yeah, I know that sea buckthorn is considered medicinal to us in some, you know, for some things. It's super high in vitamin C. Right. Lovely. But it's 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 funny to um, you were asking earlier about the you know the sheep. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, they you know they like to stand up in their hind legs and, and, and nibble on things, and and whenever I put them into a new parcel, it's it's like they have a, a, a sixth sense for which vines or which trees are weak and they will immediately you know be drawn to that plant and just sort of start rubbing against it and you know there's sort of this age-old um fight between the the, the landscape architects you know the trees the answer the the um the animals and the trees the, the forest wants to make everything into a forest whereas the trees want to keep everything as a prairie so they've got enough to graze and, uh, and you know how, like, you know, how um, deer, for example, they will rub their antlers on trees, you know, taking the bark off and kill them. And, and if, you, right. if you plant a tree where, where there's lots of cows, they will, you know, take the rind off and, and the tree dies, right? So it's, you, you, but even with these tiny sheep, you can still see that dynamic a little bit. Oh, well. <laughs> and uh, and the service trees, for example, they, they have a super magnet. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but, but they're like... They, they, they just they smell them from far away. <laughs> I <laughs> so really the, need to protect those. The sheep are predators of weak trees, is what you're saying? Yes, yes, very much so. <laughs> and, and vines. Like if, if there are weak vines that don't have stakes or, or you know, God forbid, something in a, in a growth tube, it's as oh, if yeah. the growth tube has, a, you know, has candy written on it or something like that. <laughs> oh, no. It is really... Oh, that, 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 you know, and they'll double up to, to get the growth tube off. <laughs> There'll oh be like two God, or three man. of them, like trying to nudge it off. <laughs> that is hilarious. This is like, I, I mean, this is good to know. Good to know. Because I, I know this is, 
how how would you what do you do about that? I mean, do you just uh, like how can you prevent that? Let's say you have a new orchard that you're starting or a new you know a new vineyard orchard kind of thing, a, a new system where you you're planting young trees significantly, but you need those sheep and to to keep grazing. What do you how have you been handling it? Um, so we've been putting you know sort of protection around the trees and then just plenty of stakes and make sure that they're very you know robust and. Got it. So like um, something be beyond the tube as well, like a little wire uh, yeah. cage kind of thing? Sometimes a cage, um, but sometimes, you know, if you put a, a growth tube and, and just sort of, you know, have it tall enough, but then also okay. have stakes that hold the tree in place. Got it. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're sort of still experimenting with it. And, and I've lost a couple of trees, but, but you know, nothing major. Nice. Um, yeah, the going back to the walnuts, they also, so this is a, a juggling daisy. It's apparently they actually release a chemical in the soil that sort of scours the soil and makes it in, inhospitable for other plants so that they aren't competing with like their own children when their walnuts drop and seed. Uh, at least this is what I've heard. I, I, think that has... that, I think that is the the leaves when the leaves fall. So oh, really? I made okay. I made sure That's... that the walnuts are not planted anywhere where we have a steep slope. Got it. Okay. Like I had another parcel where I I I did think about placing walnuts, but uh, that's too steep. So we, we need to be able to drive there. Right. And um, and yeah, so we 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 backed off from that idea. Do you have any problem in terms of the vineyard work that you have to do with labor? I mean, is there labor available? Like, can you, are the people around that actually can do this work for you? Are you doing a lot of it yourself? It sounds like yeah. it's a lot of hand work, I, I imagine. It, it's a lot of hand work. There's, uh, I mean, there's two of us full time. Okay. And in the summer, I have maybe another six people helping us sort of with the leap work. Okay. Um, but I'm actually quite optimistic we can reduce that a fair bit with this new system and with it. So th there's one more thing that, that we're integra integrating now, which is um, we're integrating parts of, of fences into the vine road. So once the vines are you know five six feet, you know five feet above the ground, you you've got plenty of space below that to place a fence. Right. So you don't then need to be running around with an electric fence for the sheep, which means that you know if you're grazing sort of, you know, to this sort of holistic grazing, which is what it called, you know, where you where you're grazing maybe for a week and then moving them once a week, right? You just have sort of small pens. Uh, it becomes super quick and super easy. Oh, you just open a gate and on to the next parcel. Exactly, and then the second thing is because the. The canopy is now horizontal, instead of vertical. It becomes super easy to spray with a drone yeah. because the dr drone is bringing the, the the material from above, so it's, it's right. hitting perpendicularly onto the horizontal canopy. Right. Whereas right. opposed to you know normally when you have a vertical canopy, you need a, the spray to be horizontal to really penetrate everything. Amazing. So, so, so we're this? actually we're actually sort of demechanizing the whole thing, and 
you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, that there's, you know, very little leaf pulling involved. So we're sort of minimizing the amount of leaf work that's needed. So I'm actually right. quite optimistic I'll be able to cut a fair big chunk out of the whole effort. Wow. Yeah. And then the, you know, to the extent that anything gets too long and vigorous, I imagine it drapes down where the sheep can grab it and that, exactly. that they take care of that as well. Exactly. And then I'll sell the tractor. <laughs> sure you will. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> well, you also, I mean, you're not afraid to employ technology. I mean, you were telling me about um, a, a UV system that you're, a robot that you're building as well to to help with the mildew. And so you, you could have the drones above and then the robot beneath. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. So so there are these research there's research going on at Cornell and a couple of other universities where people are trying to use uh, ultraviolet light. Yes, yeah. I think the most of the thrust of the US research has been on uh, powdery mildew. Yeah, I think so. But our problem is downy mildew. Yeah. Uh, but a very recent article that came out mentioned sort of as a side note that it seems to also induce uh, systemic resistance against um, downy. Oh, wow. So it, uh, it trains the vines. It actually like sort of it, it has an epigenetic effect where the vines sort of respond by saying, we're going to get tougher. Uh, yeah, I don't know right? if it's epigenetic or if it's just sort of an irritation that causes the vine to, ah, gotcha. to actually okay. sort of, you know, put the right. defenses on. Like a callus or something. <laughs> yes. In 2001, we were actually trying to do this. So, you know, if you can sort of recall 2001, I mean, it's a mid, mid COVID, you know, and getting spare parts, you know, spare elect electronic parts was really difficult. We had problems. So, uh, ultimately, we had to bail on the robot. And then I re kitted the ultraviolet lights that we had to fit them on the tractor. And then I uh, designated 15 rows that I was going to run some experiments on. And 2021 was the wettest year since 87 years in Switzerland. Wow. So it's really a, a dreadful year. And in June, it rained like, I can't remember. We, we could never get a whole spraying round. We were spraying right. every dry day, every dry window we were spraying, but we could never complete a round. So we we're always just, you know, going to where we left off last time. And after treating the vines with a UV light for, I think I did like four rounds, and then the, the field was just too wet. I couldn't drive it anymore. Okay. So, so it was a bit frustrating. Couldn't get a conclusive experiment. But um, my son is now studying electrical, electrical engineering, so I'm, I'm, I'm poking him a bit. And hopefully we'll have a, <laughs> a working uh, prototype to, to experiment again next summer. So and, and the photo that you sent me, it sort of looks like when, when we're talking about robots, maybe people think of, uh, you know, uh, sort of a anthropomorphized you know machine but this is looks like a tanning bed on wheels is that a fair a tanning assessment bed? <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know you yeah i guess you could say that <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's uh, you know there's like <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it's, a, it's a tiny bed, but it's on tracks uh, right right so we have about two about about a third of our slopes is um too steep to drive okay uh, so I need something that's rugged enough to to go up and down some steep slopes. Got it. 
and and the so it's more like a like a, a tank track vehicle yeah yeah and you know how sort of uh organic uh prop crop protection works is basically you don't have any single arrow in your quiver that's going to kill it kill the fungus right. you need to sort of layer a number of different things right so i imagine so we've got the spray coming from above and that could be you know we use a number of different uh, herbal teas as well to to sort of try to uh, um, limit the, num- the amount of copper we need to spread. Right, right. So you got you got that coming from above. You got a light from coming below, and then also um, you know th- there's some research that shows that sage sage tea or sage extract uh, it does work against downy quite well. But the problem is, it's not rain fast. Right. And my idea was to see if I could just grow enough sage that the etheric oils would just, that the whole vineyard would just smell from from sage. Oh, yeah. I mean, the problem with that might be that your wine ends up smelling like sage. Oh, well, when is terror? <laughs> true, true. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. Yeah. I mean, uh, I like sage, so. Yeah, exactly. No, maybe it's not a problem. I know. <laughs> I mean, we do. Um, there's, I mean, there's also research showing that, for example, that um, thyme tea and uh, and peppermint tea yes. helps to keep uh, the uh, thyme and what was the, the other one? The, uh, peppermint. Peppermint, yeah. Helps to keep the flies away. The the Drosophila suzuki, the, the Japanese fly. Okay. The, uh, the vinegar fly, uh, which has been a problem here. I guess you, you guys have had a problem with that as well. But uh, so in my in my vineyards in, in the Italian speaking part, um, I've always been mowing by hand, and I you know it's so boring if you mow everything you just get you know brain dead if you do it trimming with a trimmer all day. So we started sort of doing a selective mowing there. We sort of leave all the beautiful flowers standing, and we leave all the thyme, the wild thyme that was grown there. And in the time that I've had this vineyard, I think that the amount of thyme grown there is probably quadrupled easily. Okay. So okay. in August and September, the vineyard really smells from time. It's just really, really nice. And I don't have any problems with uh, with the flies down there. Oh, wow. That's lovely. Yeah, I've, I, I've <laughs> heard that time is a sort of secret powerhouse of multiple things. Like, so, yeah, uh, insecticide or insect you know, repellent. Yeah. But also, I, I mean... Even some of the, you know, an antifungal uh, to a certain extent, but that might need to be more of a, an extraction, you know, sort of like, like, uh, what are some of the other ones? Like cinnamon bark or oak bark or yarrow. Um, these are some of the things that I, you know, are homeopathic uh, antifungal things for powdery mildew, for example, or downy, possibly. I mean, all of these uh, aromatic herbs, you know, also the sage, rosemary, and, and others. Um, they do have antiseptic properties. So it's not right. antifungal and antibacterial or extracts from them. Um, and they are also very, very high in um, antioxidants. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that it's sort of similar to like resveratrol, right? Like resveratrol yeah. is a strong antioxidant that also is very antifungal. Right. So I'm wondering if it's sort of the same function that's that's going on there. But I, I was just thinking, you know, because it's not rain fast, 
and because I was able to, to do this in my Italian speaking part, you know, the vineyards down there, if I can give sort of the an impulse into the vineyards by planting enough of the herbs and yeah. then somehow and then the, the nice thing is that the sheep they actually don't eat so much of the herbs they eat all the grass around them so they eat away the competition and they only nibble right. at the herbs yeah that makes sense so the herbs are going to get a, an advantage and they'll be able, be able to establish themselves and uh, yeah so through that I, i'm hoping that i you know in time i will have a you know, enough of an aromatic potential no. that it might help against the fungus. Are you, are, are you concerned about having grumpy sheep if you have too many of those herbs that they don't like? No, 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 no. They, they, so they, should, they have a very intelligent um, way of selecting what they eat. They're actually very, very intelligent with that. And uh, it's just been shown that if they are allowed to graze on aromatic herbs, then they have much less problems with parasites. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you can sort of easily imagine that a lamb that has been grazing on thyme all summer, it is going to taste very delicious. Yeah, I was thinking that as well. It's already, I mean, I've heard, I, I, I mean, people do this intentionally, like with ducks, you know, feed them only on pomegranate seeds, for, for example, you know, to change the flavor and or, or like with, with uh, pigs, you know, only allow them to fatten up on acorns. Um, yeah, but that's, that, a, that's a big that's a big mean if you sort of if you sort of force them to. But but this way yes, you sort yeah. of you give them an opportunity to graze on a, on a lot of different things. Right, exactly. And yeah. then you know just through their own intuition, they will nibble on what they need and in the order of what they need, so that uh, so that they they end up being healthier. Well, you, I mean, this does bring up a a good question about the the kind of you have a very interconnected system, which ultimately can become lower maintenance and lower uh, lower input for you. Yeah. But it does require, you know, a more layered, more complex form of knowledge, like a, a less reductive form of knowledge and, and a more ecological view of things, uh, mm -hmm. the interrelationship of all of these parts. Yeah. Is that uh, something that's difficult to translate? Have you tried to train anybody and met with, sort of resistance or just, uh, you know, stupefaction <laughs> at trying to piece together the, the pieces that you've been living with for a while? Is that hard to pass uh, on? Uh, it's, it, it's probably too early to start to pass on. Okay, yeah. Uh, as I'm still sort of, you know, working through it and, and, you know, to sort of, for example, seeing, you know, what, to what extent does a tree really help as a climbing aid or... Do I maybe do you know? Do I then cut down too much on on airflow through the vineyard, or you know, I, these are things I will need right. to sort of experiment and see. Um, I can, however, say that most of my neighbors they they regularly shake their heads when they walk past my vineyards, <laughs> and uh, yes. and when we speak, yes. they all tell me, "Oh, we've tried this before. We've tried this before." But they, the thing is, they always try sort of just one at a time. And the key yeah. here is really the interaction. It's the interaction between the inverted trellis or or a, or a horizontal canopy with the drone, with the sheep, with the herbs, with the trees. It's it's really that the magic is really sort of when you put the thing together. Yeah, it's funny. I seem to talk to a lot of people for whom the the neighbors shake their heads at <laughs> what they're doing. 
<laughs> drawn to you, you types, for some reason. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, but specifically, even just with the sheep, there's a bit of you know animal husbandry knowledge that you need to have. Uh, I mean, you're talking about parasites. Are you? Do you need to know about worming your sheep, or are you trying to build up resistance in your flock as well? That so that you know if they aren't resilient, they sort of get culled out naturally. No, we we um, I've had to treat them once, but that was in uh, that was uh, last year when we had super drought. Okay. So everything was we we barely got rain for two months, and the every, the grass between the vines was just brown, which is uh you know very very unusual for our part of the world. Okay. And then I ended up uh, taking the sheep to a, a friend of mine that's uh, two hours away, and he had you know plenty of green grass. Oh, nice. So, so they but... got to get to go get to go on holiday for for a month and a half, uh, but otherwise we're trying to move them rapidly enough so that so the parasites then tend to the cycle tends to be about two weeks as far as I know. Right. So that you know from from the time that they you know they drop the dung on the on the ground until the it sort of the that the next generation starts to crawl up the grass you know waiting to be at eaten. Right. So if you're moving them every week, then you sort of break the cycle every week. Right. right. That's what we're trying to do. You're also keeping them from eating the grass low enough to to down to where those parasites are, right? So you're kind of, you know, that the quick move is also preventing the cycle from, right, getting up there, but it's also, you're not letting them eat down to the ground where they're going to be eating up those parasites. Yeah, so in, in that, you know, like in last year when it was this super drought, then they were eating basically everything. Right. Um, but but, but the, the thing is that the, you know, the second generation will actually climb up the grass to, to try to reach the peak so that it's, it's more likely to be eaten. Got it. I see. So are you also using minerals uh, to, like using the sheep to remineralize if you have any... So, I mean, this is, you're probably aware of this, but I, I don't know how many people who are wine, interested in wine would know about this because it's uh, it's more, you know, sheep oriented. But essentially, if you do a soil test and you find that like you're, you're low, your soil, your soil is poor in certain nutrients, you can just put mineral boxes out for your sheep and then they will naturally feed on the things that your soil is poor in because they're not getting them from the plants that are growing because the plants won't contain them because soil doesn't contain them. And then as the sheep, you know, use that mineral box to get their lacking minerals, they'll be pooping them back into the land. And over years, the land will remineralize with the sheep doing that. And then eventually you'll have a balanced soil mineral profile and the sheep won't need to be given supplements anymore. Is that something you've played around with at all? I haven't heard of that or played around oh. with it, but um, I have thought of feeding them seeds. Uh, seeds. Oh, like I was, yeah. I was thinking of you know, I, you know, I like to bring let them into, do you your know, planting. Yeah, exactly. And then the planting comes with a, with a, with a, with a fertilizer. fertilizer. Oh. So, that's, that's, uh, yeah, that makes um, a lot of sense. Yeah, and they, and they and they like to you know. So when we. Um, when we go check on them and just daily, we usually have a little bit, you know, for something for them to nibble on, so that they'll come running and 
and then you see you know if, if somebody's limping or something's wrong or it, you know it's right, coming right. right away and also when we move them we um you know i just open the fences and i i walk you know 500 meters across across the field and they all come with me right now do you have to have uh sheep dogs that live with them to to protect them no no um, oh, so it's not a high predator area then. we do have lynxes okay um but so far no so far no, no incident i haven't heard of any incident in my area okay um i've heard about somebody who had incident with with the lynx but uh so far i've been spared okay and the fencing that you're using is it the sort of portable the the, the mesh electric solar powered that's what we're using now it? but what we're looking to to, to um implement is to put in sort of fixed parts of the fence into the vine row right right, right below the vines and would that because be so small you only need sort of like two feet tall right you, right you don't need just to like a single way. strand electric fence or something like that no 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 it's electric uh oh just, just a wire a... mesh just a wire oh, mesh just no, a little, no electricity. Yeah. okay got it got i've it. Okay. i've lost a few sheep um I, I I haven't caught anybody in the action, but I think is that you know if somebody goes um, walking past with their dogs, that a dog goes and jumps in and you know thinks it's play, but then the sheep actually get caught in the electric fence and can't free themselves, and then they die from electrocution. Uh, I've lost a few of them. Yeah, uh, that's, that's been quite good, uh, sad. So that's why I'm keen to get away from the electricity and just have fences that. Um, are just you know static and no electricity on them right huh okay yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah nice and you i mean i guess you already mentioned this but you are growing vinifera which um is you know it sounds like clones that are from switzerland as well as, as well as some other you know chardonnay uh you're you're growing you do, you've got an interesting thing with sour cherries and Chardonnay going on. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah, so we, we, we're primarily Pinot Noir producer, but we have um, like five different whites as well. We have a couple of the reds. And um, I guess it, start, I guess it started with, uh, with the vermouth we make. So I start, okay. when I started to you know, branch outside of the vinifera-only category, uh-huh. Um, right. So we made two vermouths, white and red, both just uh, you know still wine with uh, infused with local herbs from the vineyard, uh, uh-huh. and no sugar and no spirits added. So just wine, herbs, and you know, right, super dry, super bitter. Got it. And then the, the latest uh, white vermouth we're making now is a is a petnut. Oh. So it's a it's a vermouth petnut that's coming out really nice. I, because I, I realized I was always making sort of, you know, super simple cocktails with the uh-huh. other vermouths, you know, adding a sparkling or something to it. Hey, you know, why, why not just make the bottle like that? So uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. And then, and then uh, the cherries, they are in our Chardonnay parsonel. I, I don't foresee mixing them, but we're going to take the sour cherries and make wine from that. Okay. I also planted one ginkgo, ginkgo biloba tree into that vineyard. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I'm going to make some experiment with uh, 
sour cherry wine with ginkgo infusion. And okay. then the, the wine from my parcel down in the Italian-speaking part is a, is a Merlot Cabernet Franc. So the 21 vintage is now Merlot Cabernet Franc Time infusion. Ah. And the 22 is going to be Merlot Cabernet Franc cherries and time infusion because I have an old cherry tree down there. Gotcha. So, and nice. that's, you know, like I said, you know, when I'm down there in August or September, it really smells so beautifully of time. Because of yeah. that, I, th- I thought it just, it is, it's, it's really part of the terroir. Yeah. And it's sort of a, a super mild infusion. So I think, like, it didn't, if I didn't tell you about it, you may not even notice it. Okay. That's lovely. And, and how uh, are they being received by folks? How are these these sort of vermouths? Uh... The vermouths are super well received. Uh, okay. Nothing else has been re- released. I was just um, we were doing a tasting down in Milan a week ago with a new new uh, pet nut vermouth, and that was uh, that was great. That was just really great. everybody was like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it's a great idea. I and mean, like you know, no sugar, just just dry, 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 and you know, sparkling. Super nice. So it's what are the ingredients in that one? That's a so there's a wormwood, yarrow, okay. and isop. These are all, yarrow all things that are just grow in our vineyards. With with which with which it's, a, it's a it's a blancanor from Pinot. Okay, got a blancanor. And then wow. so I, I start the tank by sort of you know placing herbs in the tanks and then I fill it up with juice, and then. Once it starts to ferment, you know, three, four days into it, I may I taste and also see if I need to add more bitterness or if I need to add anything more. You need to be sort of quite vigilant with, you know, you need to get your herbs right. in the right quantities in before you need to bottle. Right. And so you have really a short amount much. of time. You really need to sort of be on top of it and tasting it daily and, and uh, right. you know, maybe adding something in or, t- you know, however one you work that. Wow, that sounds really special. I mean, both because of the amount of, I think, work and care involved in that, but also just that that blend sounds incredible. I mean, <laughs> that's it's it's so it's so aromatic, and then you know when the you know the bubble somehow, you know that you know if you put too much uh, sulfites into a sparkling wine, it really stinks. Yeah, uh, it's sort of the same thing here, but it's not stinking. It's sort of these beautiful aromatics come out. Oh wow. So it sort of enhances the uh, the aromatic uh, feel of it without being too bitter. So because if you want to get sort of the aromatic feel for uh, from the wormwood, then you need to put enough in, and then it ends up you know, getting too much into the bitter direction. Right. Wild. That sounds incredible. Yeah. How was... can people try this? <laughs> Uh, we haven't released it yet. I want to just I want to start this uh, one tasting. We're gonna have to I'm waiting for the labels. Else. I'll have labels um, soon. So it's a Blanc de Noir infused with wormwood hyssop and yarrow. That's yeah. really, yeah. I mean, that's just inspiration right there. That's really cool. Um, wow. What other? Uh, I mean, what you know? You, what other wines are you making, or what other you know? approaches are you taking what's your philosophy i mean it sounds like you, you you said you're doing zero zero you're obviously trying to capture terroir in a real sense in a real like inclusive sense of what everything that's growing yeah. amongst there yeah. what what else you got going on um let's see them 
so the pairs or the, they're called the sheep pairs here in Switzerland. They're sort of very sheep tiny pairs. pairs, very aromatic. Oh well. Um, then I've got one parcel with a hawthorn, and the uh-huh. goal there is to take the flowers from hawthorn and infuse them with the wine from that parcel. And the wine is um, it's a white variety called Kerner. Okay. Uh, we do all our wines um, whole cluster fermented, so all the whites, all the reds, everything's whole cluster, uh, just okay. food red. Okay. Um, now, Hawthorne is truly one of the magical plants on the planet and can literally prevent you from needing bypass surgery on your heart. I don't know yeah. how many people yeah. are aware of this, but it's like super heart healthy plant do you know if the flowers contain that or is it just the fruit of the hawthorn no it's it's flowers it's just the leaves as well yeah so we're, we're going to experiment with both flowers and leaves separately and then just see what, what sort of mix we end up with oh that's fantastic so that that wine is sort of she was a heart healthy yeah whereas, <laughs> the, whereas the cherries and ginkgo will be sort of you know brain healthy if you will brain healthy yeah Oh, this sounds, my goodness, my goodness, I'm excited. Um. <laughs> and it's sort of, you know, we're, we're working biodynamically. So if you, if you read through the the lectures from Steiner, I mean, he his goal was really to make food stuff sort of be medicine. Mm-hmm. So right. it's sort of, it's, you know, it's sort of trying to be true to that uh, idol, ideal. Right, and they say, like, forks, not knives kind of thing. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. Like, um, yeah, well, that's great. Uh, do you, now, I, I did go to your website. Do you want to say what your website is, or is there a, a better way for people to, to sort of find out what you're, to follow along, to maybe, you know, come visit you if they can, or <laughs> get yeah. in contact with any questions or anything like that? Yeah, um, so it's uh, hawksandwine.com. And that is H A U K S S O N. Yeah. And it's wines or wine? Wine. Wine. Singular. Yeah. Singular. Got it. Uh, I'm and... also on Instagram. But um, I'm not I'm not posting a lot, but but you know it's possible Got to it. reach me there if somebody wants to oh, um, is in the area. And we should say it's H A U K S S O N W E I N E. Yes. Right. Do you also own the dot com, like the w i n e dot com, or do you? Is it w e i n e dot c h only? Ah, so so I've got both. So okay, <laughs> there's got one it. in German, Good. and then wine is written in German dot c h, and then there's one uh-huh. in English, which is uh, wine written in English dot com. Okay. Good. So people don't have to if they are English speakers don't have to remember how to spell it in German. <laughs> yeah, they won't get much benefit from the German speaking side. <laughs> <laughs> great now have you are are you are using some of your trees for for trellising for actually like draping vines in or you're you're about to you're in the process of making this happen have you yeah. noticed anything from that like in in terms of different vine behavior once they know that they're in a tree versus on a trellis i i haven't but um a colleague of okay. mine and from the um italian speaking part you know, actually, uh, his name is Tancred Gutch. 
I think actually his father was mentioned on your podcast a few episodes back. His father, is, his name is Ernst Koch, and he is a pioneer in terms of agroforestry in South America. I think the person oh, okay. we're interviewing um, was studying with him. Okay. So, uh, well, he has a number of trees in his vineyards and um, lets the vines climb on them. And he observes that the vine leaf that's inside the tree canopy tends to be healthier than the vine leaf that's outside. Huh. You would and think also, the complete also I, was, I was visiting him uh, two years ago, and then he was, we, we, we stopped by an old vineyard that, that's sort of, you know, barely being used anymore. Uh, 80% of the vines were already dead, but there was still 20% of the vines were still there. And then we're standing above this vineyard, and he says, so look around. You know, do you notice where are the vines that are still alive? And he started looking at them. They're actually all around where there are trees. Huh. And all the other vines were dead. Right. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of, I mean, that was also you know, a big motivation for me to, to start sort of going down this uh, rabbit hole of, of trying to think of, okay, so how do we make you know, the vines more healthy? How do we get more you know, like a forest floor into the vineyards? Yeah, that's exciting. Well, do you have any um, cl you know, closing thoughts or any? is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to cover no i think we uh i think we covered it pretty much well fantastic thank you so much for sharing all this i mean this is just candy for me and i, I i'm hoping to excite some other folks about these topics and the things that you're doing the things i'm interested in in, in terms of this vitiforestry silvo silvo combination of all kinds of things uh, <laughs> polyculture essentially um so thank you for sharing all this. It's really, I'm glad you got in touch, and I'm glad uh, that you're doing what you're doing. Thank you. It's, I mean, it's sort of outside the. It, it's sort of in a part of the parameter space that really hasn't been explored much. So yeah, it's, uh, it'll be very At interesting to recently, see in terms of right? you know, vine health and you know what what impact it will have. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it seems like it, the last time it was practiced was before when it was. It was practiced because it was just necessary. It was the only option, and yeah. now it would be interested to see uh, if we could, you know, find get some data, like you're saying, on and how it impacts vine health and things like that, and and wine quality, wine flavor. Yeah. I, I do feel like, yeah, like like you, that it's it's gotta it's gotta have an impact. And I predict a beneficial one, but you know, that's me. <laughs> You know, I'll, I'll, I'm sure I will find customers for it. <laughs> I would like it for sure. It's my okay, baby, well, so. <laughs> well, great. Thank you again. Sure. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you did and would like to support this podcast, please do. There is a Patreon link in the show notes where you can subscribe with a monthly very low subscription to add monetary support or please subscribe on your feed whatever wherever you listen to this podcast subscribe and follow this podcast so that you will automatically download it when each new episode comes out that's one of the few metrics that we can measure to see the support and and listenership of this and Otherwise, if you're already listening, subscribe, support, whatever, uh, just long-time listener, haven't done anything, please uh, do a review. If you would, any positive review with five stars and a nice word 
<laughs> is fantastic and helpful and uh, really improves the algorithmic performance of this podcast. So thank you so much. <laughs>